Hey, who made you with this, Jackie? Welcome from all of us to all of you. If you want to know how glad we are to have you with us, just you listen. Hi, and welcome to the Crisis on Infinite Midlives podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. This is episode 128. Yeah, we're, we're alive. <laughs> <laughs> Despite all uh, rumors and efforts to the contrary, efforts, really. it feels like sometimes. I want to warn you right up front, uh, we're recording this later than we normally do by several hours, frankly. Uh, so this is going to be a live-to-tape episode. So every wart, every pregnant pause, every um, every yeah and, every uh, quiet burp of beer, every weeping of despair that I don't know where to go next. It's all going to be in this one. So if you want to hear exactly what it would be like if we ever decided to get crazy and put up a live stream, this is pretty much going to be it. You're going to get every wart, <laughs> every ingrown toenail, every ugly thing that Jesus. we could possibly do. You're, you're making this show sound so attractive. <laughs> I mean, the funny thing is, I really don't edit the hell out of almost any of them. <laughs> it's you know, editing audio. They say it takes twice as long to edit it as it does to do it. And that's true. But yeah, I don't take very much out. Some of the verbal tics that I have, you know, be- because of my Tourette syndrome. <laughs> yeah, this is a. I, I don't think you need to edit it as hard as you do. It's just your, your own perfectionism. Uh, anal. I'm anal. That's that's not perfectionist. I'm just deeply, deeply anal. Okay. <laughs> would you like to talk about your anal some more? No, I would really rather not. <laughs> and I can already picture, <laughs> I can already picture listeners pulling deeply, deeply <laughs> anal out to play back in my face at some point. So yeah, we won't do that. But okay. Yeah, it's been a case of yeah, we missed last week's show, and and part of the reason is. Number one, this is Amanda's busy season at work. It is. Uh, so there's just a lot going on. There's some late nights in there. There's some stuff on weekends. And I've been working on this project for my job that has just taken hours and hours. And it's like, yeah, I mean, this weekend I did like 10 hours on it. And last weekend was like almost like a full two work days. So it, just, it takes a lot of time. And, and there, these things have end dates in sight. No, they don't. Well, it's some of them. It's never going to end. Some of them do. Please, God, it has to end. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> I mean, it was almost, last Sunday was almost a complete physical and emotional collapse. I know, you were drooling and shaking. Yeah, well, just about, after the booze. Because, <laughs> yeah, I, I got off the computer at like 6 o'clock. I'm like, I, I can't talk about, I don't think I could talk to you right now, Amanda, let alone. <laughs> Certainly couldn't make eye contact. <laughs> yeah, I was looking at the floor, I'm like, it doesn't work right, and I, it's, I don't have any more the energy. guilty and, four-year-old. Yeah, it's. I was barely able to communicate with Parker the cat. <laughs> dealing with, I had descended to the level of dumb beasts. So and it's okay. It, Parker's a better conversationalist sometimes. Uh, <laughs> only compared to last night. Because <laughs> yeah, Amanda's been under a lot of stress too. So last night we finally got to like five o'clock, and I said, "Screw it! I'm shutting the machine off. We are going out to get Mexican food." And we did. And we also got Mexican booze. Mm-hmm. I uh, I got many Dos Equis, and Amanda switched at a certain point. You know how they say, uh, beer before liquor, never sicker? Yeah. Yeah, no, you don't know that, because that's not what you did. <laughs> <laughs> you went from wine... Went from Chardonnay to Mezcal. To Mezcal. Now, if you're not familiar, Mezcal is the tequila with the worm in it. <laughs> now, this is the high-end Mezcal, so they don't deign to chuck a fucking worm in it. But it's it's high-test. It's it's serious liquor for serious people. I was very serious about drinking it. It's it reached the point <laughs> where we had gotten so drunk, Amanda was being friendly with people at the bar that yeah. she didn't know. I don't ever talk to people. Yeah, it's, <laughs> uh, Amanda speaks to the world via the show. Yes. Otherwise, uh, I don't want to say you're not friendly. <laughs> <laughs> You're totally saying I'm not friendly. That's uh, all right. Well, you're not social. <laughs> I'm not. We're not social butterflies. No. So, yeah, the minute she started striking up conversations with people at the bar. <laughs> Time I'm to like, put Amanda back in her box. Yeah, I'm like, all right, this, <laughs> this is going to work out. I'll go home. I'll put Amanda to bed and I'll surf the net or something. But, oh, no. <laughs> we got home and Amanda switched from mezcal to, scotch. to single malt scotch. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God. Well, this will be over uh, shortly. <laughs> I was not correct. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, you, you may not, some people who listen to the show who know us personally know this, but uh, Amanda is uh, a karaoke fiend. 
Yeah, uh, it's my secret shame. Yeah, not to the not to the point where we have a karaoke machine because if we did, no. that would be all that you do. Yeah, <laughs> it would never stop. Days without sleep. Yeah. So, but what we do when Amanda gets in the mood with a particular level of drunk is, yeah, we'll put on Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog, and she'll sing along with it. And I thought, yeah, she won't make it to the end of this. She she sent me downstairs for more double scotches, (laughs) like twice during Dr. Horrible. And all I kept thinking was from Rocky II, when Duke is talking to to Apollo Creed, (laughs) and it was like Amanda going up against scotch. It's... (laughs) It's like you threw everything you had at her, and she kept coming. <laughs> I've never seen anyone beaten that hard, and she wouldn't stop. You're like the Terminator of Scotch. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was a thing to behold that, <laughs> until Dr. Horrible was over, and then she said, Buffy, what's more with feeling? <laughs> and that's when it started to go sideways. <laughs> Somewhere around Spike singing Rest in Peace, Amanda and Intune parted company with nothing but smiles and good cheer. Um, but you were belting away and having fun. I'll take your word for We've it. We've got thick walls, you know, so we're not going to irritate the neighbors. But by I think the, I blacked out by that. I don't, re- I don't remember any of that. Oh, by the end of it, <laughs> you, know, you were hanging on by sheer force of will. It was... It, it was really a thing to behold because yeah, it, by the end of it, you're like, I touch the fire. <laughs> I look. <laughs> I want the fire back. <laughs> so blackouts are rough because you get to like live a whole chunk of your life while you're not there. But you are. <laughs> but yeah, I and am. You get to tell me about everything I did. Oh, yeah. I, I, you know, I'm lucky I didn't wake up with like a penis sharpied on my face or something, or like, like blood somewhere, like obvious, and like a little girl's barrette. Like just, <laughs> <laughs> now, now, we like, never, what did I do? <laughs> we never, we never drive, and I would never pull that kind of a prank on you. <laughs> and some of my friends at college, I did, but, <laughs> but yeah, and even after that, it's it, Buffy. The once more with feeling is over. You're sitting on the floor with your head rolling back and forth. You're clearly just staying upright by sheer force of will. The only way I got you to go to bed was by me saying, "Oh, I think I'm tired. Why don't we? Why don't we watch TV in the bedroom?" And even then, you put on a show and had TiVo optimistically say, "Play all of these." I think I'll be up for hours. You press the button, and you were snoring within forty seconds. It was again. I will take your word. For but it was it. a hell of a run. And clearly, we've been under stress that needed to be blown off. Clearly, so at least I didn't, you know, go psychotic or start seeing cameras that weren't there. Uh, oh, I would forty-five minutes. Yeah, you'd have been swatting for cameras in the corner. <laughs> so it was, it was fun. But yeah, that's the the level of stress we've been under. It's you know, you grab three or four hours. It's like all right, blow off steam, and. Because of that, yeah, you've been banged up all day. And again, I put you to bed and kept drinking. So, and then, yeah, I woke up early and started working again. So it's it, things have been busy. So, yeah, because of that, yeah, we we don't have anything again uh, on comics news. I've barely had time to keep up on it. We barely had time to get through all of this week's take. I got through all of them, mm-hmm. I think, and you've gotten through most of them. Yeah, today was a, a big day with a leverage marathon and a pile of comic books. Yeah, well, with me, it was a big day of screaming at the outside of my monitor. Why would you fucking work? But but yeah, we did get... There was one terrible bait and switch I want to talk about with this week's comics. All right. Because DC, in the face of Rebirth, has been recently coming out, reprinting a lot of their books from around when Crisis on Infinite Earths ended. Okay. Like, we we just got a couple of weeks ago the first volume of the George Perez Wonder Woman, mm-hmm. and they've done a few things like that. And I go into the comic store this week, and I see Green Arrow Volume 6 with Mike Grell's name on it, reprinting, like, stuff in, like, the late 40s, early 50s of of his run in the eighties. Okay. And I get psyched because I love those green arrow books when I was in high school. I've said before on the show, those were one of a few titles that, uh, amazingly went missing when I went away to college and my little brother was still at home. <laughs> so I haven't reread a lot of them in a long time. And I'm like, volume six, they've been reprinting this all along. Thank God. And I run up to the front and I talk to the 
comic store owner. I'm like, give me all of the rest of them. I want them. And he's psyched and I'm psyched. And finally, uh, yesterday in the bathroom, honestly, I got a chance to actually read the thing and I get to the back page of it. It's not volume six of Mike Grell's fucking Green Arrow. It's just volume six of Green Arrow. And the other five volumes, a bunch of them are the Green Arrow from the New 52 that I never fucking read because I read a couple of them. I'm like, "Eh, it ain't no Mike Grell Green Arrow. And I got an order in for all these fucking books that I don't want. And I got to get in touch with a store owner on Monday being like, if you haven't placed that order, pull it, pull it, abort, abort. (laughs) There's like just one horrible bait and switch at the comic store this week. They they happen once in a while. Usually I'm more careful. I was just so excited because Mike Grell's Green Arrow, one of my favorites from the 80s. It'd be like if I saw, you know, Flash with Mike Barron. Yeah. And just grab it without looking. And it's like, oh, no, he wrote the afterword. Shit. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. It's a, it happens, you know, caveat emptor, fucking taco. Whatever. On the outside, you remembered to wear pants when you left the house. So that that's something. Well, I acquiesced when you reminded me. <laughs> pants are an always choice. Pants are an always choice. <laughs> So yeah, it's it's another show, and we've got some stuff with actual content coming up. We still want to try to do the uh, the Mister Robot show sometime in the week or two after after that ends. I think yeah. the uh, the finale is next week. That sounds right. So maybe next week or the week after. And but, some of the uh, various series are coming back to, to television in the next week or so. I saw that uh, Gotham's coming back somehow. And so uh, Gotham is more your thing than mine. Lucifer will be back. I'm the only thing I'm looking forward to in Gotham this year. It's like, you know, all right, maybe the kid playing Bruce Wayne, his voice will finally change. I might actually start to believe he's got some <laughs> steel in his spine to be Batman. Maybe. Um I I do know that they're aging up the the character uh that's supposed to be Ivy. And that's gonna happen like within the first first couple of episodes. Okay. They've decided they don't want like Little orphan waif Ivy. They they want actual hot Ivy. So, <laughs> all right. Well, they know their audience. Yeah. Uh, okay. So yeah, uh, I, I don't like. I said I've just I've not had time to to really hit the comics news as hard as as I would like. So yeah, it's a, I have no idea what's going on with that. I, I know more about what's going on with Flash with Flashpoint coming up, which I assume is going to be a way to get Supergirl into the the DCW. Yes. So yeah, it's as those things debut. We'll have more of our traditional structure of, oh, big topic up front and then talk about a few comic books uh, for the last couple of weeks and probably for the next couple of weeks. It, yeah, it's it's all I can do to hang on and be like, all right, we'll, we'll talk about a few comics this <laughs> week. And there were actually some pretty good ones this week. Yeah, yeah. So that helps. <laughs> it doesn't hurt. Having enthusiasm about what you're talking uh, what you're talking about helps. I agree. And there was yeah something a couple three weeks ago where I was like. Eh. Which of these will we talk about? Doesn't matter to me. <laughs> yeah. Anything else before we start comics? Or did you want to protest you weren't as, as drunk as nah, you were? Or, oh, oh, no, I was worse. Or uh, it, I, I, I don't mean to make fun of you on the... the and it's not even making fun of you. It was, <laughs> it was fucking heroic. I, I haven't <laughs> seen anything like that since in quite a while. <laughs> you go from wine to mezcal to scotch and hang in there. That's good work. It's, it's telling about the mezcal because as much scotch as I drank, what I'm tasting all day today is the mezcal. And you only had like one. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Maybe you should have a different one next time. <laughs> maybe you got the bullet bourbon of mezcal. Uh, maybe. Which, uh, I enjoy the occasional bourbon and I like bullet bourbon. And I had three of them one night <laughs> and, and I woke up the next day and it was like somebody shit in my living brain. I hadn't felt that bad in a long time. And I... This, I'm staring at four open beers that I have to get me through this show. Three bourbons shouldn't hurt me, and one mezcal shouldn't be the thing that knocked you on your ass. No, it was the scotch afterwards that knocked me on my ass. Well, <laughs> oh damn it! God. Where's my whiskey funnel? I'm be faster on that. See, and if I could edit a show, I'd have pulled that pause. I pressed the wrong button, but fuck it. It's okay. <laughs> All right. So, anything else you want to just start talking comics? Um. On Twitter, I discovered that Leslie Jones um, of Ghostbusters and Saturday Night Live fame has uh, discovered comic books and has just read pre- uh, read The Boys for the first time. Okay. She was quite excited about it. Say what you want. I don't follow her on Twitter, but you know, everybody, well, I don't know that everybody, a lot of people heard the story that she was so enthusiastic about the Olympics 
that who is it, ABC brought her out to cover the Olympics. Yeah. So she seems like somebody who, if she's enthusiastic about something, will go in with both feet. Yeah. She she has gone in with both feet. Well, good. <laughs> Did anything that makes more people look at actual comic books, uh, I'm for. I'm somewhere, okay with that. Somewhere in, in the, the conversation thread, and this wasn't from her, it was from somebody else, I think I read that it's being picked up as a series. Did the, you hear anything about that? The boys? Yeah. No. That I, would be an interesting series. It would be. I don't know who you get to pick it up. That's a good question. I mean, one of the major volumes of that book is called Herogasm, <laughs> and, and it's it's about uh, like a club med. What's that? It's it's like uh, that that thing. Oh shit! What's it called? Yeah, Sacred Grove. No, some Grove. Uh, something Grove. Well, there was uh, Plato's something in the. But no, it's the. There's some famous fuck fest that goes on every year, and people go to it. And I'm not talking Thailand. It's, <laughs> all I can think of is decadence, but that's not it. No, no. Um, Bohemian Grove. That's what it's called. All right. I, don't, I think that's what it's called. I don't know what that is. It's uh, All I know is recently a whole bunch of um, emails from, from uh, Colin Powell were leaked to the internet, and he describes his experience at, at going to them, in them. On them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. But uh, I, I, I guess like Conan O'Brien was at it and other famous people. All right, let's not turn this into a slander <laughs> thing because I know nothing about what you're talking about. It, yeah, you, you just Google it later. <laughs> yeah, I, I know there's some weird thing that people go to. It basically turns Club Med into a giant glory hole or some shit like that. But, yeah. All right. Per- apparently people just pee everywhere. <laughs> There's no women allowed. Sound. Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, we're clearly not talking about the same thing. <laughs> the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to derail this further. <laughs> oh, we're derailed. There's. <laughs> you can't talk about <laughs> just a bunch of men peeing. That's and that's your vacation. That's <laughs> the fuck is that? <laughs> I don't know. They put on like stupid. He was wrong, and you knew it. <laughs> they put on stupid skits. I... <laughs> I, I don't know. We're, I, we're, I, I, I'm a girl. I wouldn't know. I, <laughs> all right, we're, we're not talking about nearly the, the same thing. Probably not. It's, uh, yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> the show I can't edit. <laughs> this is the one we go down this road. The show I can't fucking fix. I don't even have a response to this. I don't remember how we got on this topic. Mezcal. Oh, yeah, okay. Mezcal. Ah. <laughs> uh, that's all right. I know how to fix it with a, just a little bit of fine Berkshire Brewing Company Steel Rail Pale Ale. That's right. The beer that makes you forget it. Men, Jesus Christ. What can I say? How did you spend your summer vacation? Funny story. <laughs> Please, anything else? Or should we talk about some comics? That we can talk about some comics. I was going. I was prepared to. Okay. <laughs> all right. This is my fault. <laughs> It's time no, about some comics. It's not. It's Dan DiDio's fault. Always. Dan DiDio's fault. Always. All right. I bet he doesn't go to Bohemian Grove. Uh, I don't. Maybe he does. Oh. <laughs> I, I, I literally don't have a, a response to this. <laughs> Just think of the real thing that I'm thinking of, and all I can think of is decadent. That's the. Fuck it. Which com- Hedonism. That's what hedonism. God damn it. It's hedonism I'm trying to think of. <laughs> Herogasm is like hedonism. Herogasm is not just a bunch of guys lining up peeing. <laughs> Although at this point, uh, Garth Ennis, because I'm sure he listens to this show along with all the other producers, <laughs> and I'm sure he's writing down, he's like, oh yeah, my return to heroes. <laughs> Pegasm. Pegasm. <laughs> <laughs> which, which of this week's comics would you like to talk about? I would like to start with... Detective Comics, please. Okay. <laughs> Detective Comics 940, uh, written by James Tinian IV, art by Eddie Barrows. Uh, it's about people peeing, apparently. No, it's uh, not. No, it's, uh, it's not. It's uh, about great tragic loss. Hey, spoilers. We're going to spoil the shit out of these books. Yes. Yes, we are. Uh, yeah, it's it's about great tragic loss while sidestepping the great tragic loss mm. and rubbing more goddamn Watchmen in my fucking face. And I should be angry, except... It's really good, and I'm having a hard time deciding whether Detective Comics or Batman is my favorite rebirth Batman book. It's, they teabagged you with Watchmen. They, they do that. <laughs> they Ozymandias me right in the fucking eyes. <laughs> yeah, it's, I was 
from the beginning, the first issue of Detective Comics, it's like, all right, this is an interesting concept, but I don't care that much about Batwoman because Batwoman's always been separated from the Batman family. Yes. And, all right, great, it's Rebirth, you'll bring her in fine, but as a character, as part of this main crew, she's always been interesting on her own, but she's always been on mm. her own, doing her own stuff. Um so it's a character I appreciated, but not as part of the Batman family. It's like, oh, and you're bringing in Clayface. No, it's really, it's all come together. Yeah. And it's really been a solid book. I mean, Batwoman in particular, the way Tinian brought her in and made a way to fit her in with Batman with the idea that the her main, her main antagonist is her father, which makes everything personal and makes everything that much more infuriating and angry makes her seem as vengeful and dangerous as Batman ever has, which is yeah. not something I thought you could get out of this character, given you know where she came from. Well, it's an interesting dynamic because she she became who she became because she wanted to make her father proud. Yes. So she had her her own living dad there. Bruce has never had his parents. Right. So he does what he does in order to honor their memory um, and she does what she does because she's trying to make her dad proud so to have this sort of resolution where it turns out that Jacob Kane has been running this crew of, of ultra Batman like soldiers because he feels that Batman should be weaponized for the good of the military um, <laughs> weaponized Batman <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and she's having none of it and, and feels that he's delusional about the the threat of the uh league of assassins or something like that um league of shadows league of shadows thank you um for her to you know then have to put him down and never it, it's hard to make somebody it, it's it's hard to be doing something because you want to make somebody proud when you realize that that person um is not the person that you hoped they would be sure and it brings a level of personal anger Yes, that made Batwoman fit into the level of Batman and vengeance, and I am the knight, well, it, and I'm I'm an alcoholic. Yeah, that's me. Sorry, because well, I think where I was trying to go with that is, you know, it, her dad is alive, and yet she is she may as well be dead to him. It's the same kind of loss. <laughs> yeah, because now, now things can never be the same. They can never be the same, but she can transition those feelings directly to Batman and work with him in the same kind of capacity. Yeah. I, I thought it was an interesting, ambiguous, ambiguous, ambiguous. Uh, <laughs> I'm in so much pain. <laughs> <laughs> Mezcal? Uh, no, but Berkshire, no, fuck it. Um, it was an ambiguous ending of she tells Batman that she has him in custody and that she can turn him over to Argus. And Batman's like, no, you put him in the cells in the belfry. You know, <laughs> I, he will answer to me. And she didn't really answer. I don't know where he's going. Yeah. It's a, it's, she it, put her hand on Bruce's shoulder. But yeah, she might side enough with Batman to say, yeah, all right. <laughs> Give him some Joker venom and see how he likes it. <laughs> yeah. Which would make that a good issue. And then amazingly, that wasn't like, the big loss in in the story. The big loss is that Tim Drake uh, appears to have died fighting all of these bat drones that Jacob Kane has unleashed on the city, looking for what he believes are sleeper agents for this League of Shadows. Right. And so Tim proves that he's smarter than the hacker that uh, Kane has on his crew. He's Ulysses, to, another Ulysses. Another Ulysses, yeah is able to to reprogram the drones and send them all on a mission after him so that the innocent folks, or at least we assume they're innocent, we don't know, right. <laughs> don't get taken out by the bat drones, um, and demonstrates his, his athletic prowess because he's able to defeat the drones by ba basically making the whole issue a math problem. <laughs> yeah, it's, at this point we have seen every Robin die. Yeah. At one point or another. Jason Todd got it in Death in the Family. Yep. Uh, 
Dick Grayson got it in Forever Evil, even though he wasn't Robin anymore and right. didn't really get killed. Uh, we saw Damien uh, get it in Batman Incorporated. Some of the deaths were more satisfying than others. Uh, yeah, I mean, if we put each death on a which gave me the biggest boner, uh, it was Damien <laughs> thing, uh, but they all come back. <laughs> they all come back. Like a bad penny. <laughs> yeah, uh, but of all the deaths, at least apparent deaths, Tim went out like a goddamn champion yeah from yeah taking on the entire first round of drones to making the decision he was going to be his own man until this happened and go off to school and leave batman behind to yeah taking out ulysses and making him look and feel impotent well at this point you know if if tim drake wasn't seemingly killed he he would probably be the the most powerful character in the DC universe between his athletic abilities and his brain. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, athletic abilities, brain, Bruce's money behind him. Yeah. Coming up with, oh, yeah, I built a self-repairing building. The patent on that alone, he probably wouldn't need Bruce ever again. No, no. Um, it, it's really quite amazing. So, um, of course, he had to be taken off the board. <laughs> well... And he's not taken off the board permanently, no. obviously. Uh, so yeah, what, what what is revealed at the end is that um, Mr. Well, Oz or whoever... Before we, we get to that, um, it's... Yes, he got to go out with a what would be a classic Batman that we saw referred to as recently as Batman number one. Mm. Batman always chasing the good death. Yep. This is as good a death as anybody in the Batman family yeah. could have foreseen. And I, I do want to. This is a, a death that a Klingon would pray for. <laughs> it was a good death. Yes, <laughs> they only had a stick instead of that stupid crescent thing that Worf <laughs> used to swing around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I do want to. The scene between Batman and Spoiler, and Spoiler's never been my favorite character. I've never had any particular rancor over the character. I've also never seen why so many people come to that character's defense all the time. Yeah. But that scene between Batman and Spoiler, where Batman goes ostensibly to comfort her, and she reveals to him, no, this is where Tim was headed. And Batman realizes that Tim... He's going to lose him in some way, one way or the other. Yeah, but not only that, I really got the sense from it of, you know, Batman almost feeling like I took this from him. Yeah. If not for me, if not for my mission, this kid who had this huge, bright future in front of him that didn't necessarily have anything to do with this, it's gone because of me. Yeah. And he and Batman and Spoiler comforting each other. And Batman had uh, almost an old school 1970s weepy face. Yeah. Well, it that, makes, you, that you'd see like on a, a Jim Apero cover from Brave and the Bold. Yeah. It, it makes me wonder, actually, since they've gone to all this trouble to put together a new Bat family for him. Yeah. Um, whether or not this is going to hold together after this issue or if he's going to want to go it alone. I think this is probably going to continue for a while. And the reason I say that is after it appeared that Bruce was killed in Final Crisis, Tim was the only one who constantly was saying no he's alive i'm going to keep the the fires burning yeah and i can see batman reciprocating that mm. after this saying okay as the world's greatest detective i have a bloody stick but nobody found a tooth nobody found any piece of his costume and batman taking that same role of being the one who's like no he's out there somewhere and rallying everybody to come to because at the very end of the issue it's you know my friends will find me even though it looks at face value like no they think you're dead nobody's coming for you i think it'll be batman's turn to never give up hope for tim well here's another thing also um that i'm hoping that tinian thought about when he chose to have mr oz who we figure probably is ozymandias yeah who is known for being uh in in his you know, actual book that he's supposed to be in, Watchmen, the smartest man in the world. Yep. Um, with Tim Drake, who is actually the smartest man in the world. 
He's apparently <laughs> the smartest man in the DC universe. So <clears throat> that that in and of itself ought to be an interesting thing if they choose to pursue it. Yeah, I, I've said it before. The best thing they could do for me is just let's just continue with the really generally solid books that we've been doing with Rebirth and take this new market share that we've picked up because we're doing good books and we've moved away from the sort of dead end that the new 52 really was sort of falling itself. Let's just do that and pretend that we never showed the comedian badge <laughs> or Dr. Manhattan. And clearly they're not going to do that. Clearly they have some end game, at least involving Ozymandias in mind, because at this point he's collected Tim Drake and Doomsday for reasons that nobody knows. So we'll, we'll wind up at least having to deal with him. Yeah. And, in its own way, if they limit it to that, I'm kind of okay with it because Ozymandias is nobody's favorite character. No. So if somehow he was knocked loose from the Watchmen universe and it becomes a battle between Ozymandias and I'm fine with Batman just ending Ozymandias before he really realizes that Tim's not dead. Just end it that way. <laughs> he just reaches across dimensions and busts his ass and <laughs> throws him in naked into space or something. <laughs> Hey, he's, we, we learned from Action Comics a couple of weeks ago. He's at a bat cave on the moon. That's he, right. He can get into space. He could. So end it that way. The minute I start seeing more Dr. Manhattan or God forbid Rorschach, I, I guess, have I have I gotten past, what are the five stages of of grief? Um, there's ang- Denial. There's denial. Which Anger. It's hard to have denial when they're waving the comedian badge in your fucking face. <laughs> and and making statements that there are going to be three jokers of whom one might be the comedian. Oh, you fucking reminded me of that. I'd put that out of my <laughs> fucking mind. God damn it. <laughs> All right, let's forget about that part. Let's hope that that was just yet another uh, bleeding cool uh, clickbait <laughs> kind of thing. No, it's going to happen. Oh, shut up. Shut up, shut up. <laughs> So yeah, it's uh, so. What's after anger? Because clearly, I've been dealing with anger for quite a while. Am I in bargaining yet? This um, is my this is my bargaining. Uh, Dan Dan DiDio, just just fine. Limit it to Ozymandias. If we could do that, I'm okay with it. I think that's bargaining. Okay. <laughs> Where's depression? Because I don't think that's much further in my future. I think after that is is the the depression or the so- the sorrow part. Okay. And then um, acceptance, acceptance is never coming. <laughs> Acceptance is not a thing that's coming from me. <laughs> the minute I see Brave and the Bold 18, Ambush Bug and Rorschach. <laughs> going, make mine Marvel at that point, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 because there are all these wonderful indie books that we also read. That's true. It's the, There were a lot of good mainstream books this week, including some Civil War stuff. You know, Ulysses is kicking along. I don't know if you've read that one I yet. I did read but, that one. It's exactly what we'd think. It's still far more of a Karnak Karnak book, (laughs) which is fine. It was fun to read. But yeah, until we get another actual Civil War installment, it's going to be a lot of Civil War on the cover and not a lot of shit happening. Right. Civil War, it's still happening. Yeah. And based on delays and everything, I think it's going to happen until the end of this fucking year. I think I read this week, but so yeah, even though there were plenty of good mainstream books, yeah, we've got a few... uh, what do we got? A dynamite and a couple of image books. Yeah, and I, I finally caught up on. It wasn't from this week's take. It was a couple of weeks ago. Um, the most recent Afterlife with Archie, which tells the story of how Josie and Josie the Pussycats yeah. came to be. It's more terrifying than you'd think. <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird. We were talking uh, with some of the the people from the comic store because we all went out for drinks and, and another trivia game. Neither of us won this one this no. year, this week. We came in second. We, we did. Our team did. We did. But, but yeah, we we're talking about what has happened with the Archie comics. And while the regular Archie comics haven't really hooked in with either one of us, yeah. you know, even the Mark Wade ones, we gave them a chance, but it's the, the horror ones. My God. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's weird how Archie has sort of decided, okay, we've got the, the, the old school cartoony ones and we've got the more grown up teenage and young adult oriented ones and the horror books. And it's just interesting to me because I just picked up a volume of the, uh, the dark horse Tales yeah. from the Crypt Archives, because it, it occurred to me a few weeks ago, you know, EC Comics are sort of a big hole in my comics education, and mm. I had a 40% off coupon at Barnes & Noble burning a hole in my pocket. So yeah, it's very much what EC did, very 
darkly horrific books mm. with uh, all their all EC's stuff was. And again, I've just read the one volume, but everything I've seen, everything was pointed toward young men. They didn't do romance <laughs> comics or anything. No. Yeah, they, they had mad and war comics and horror comics. So, right. all right, maybe the analogy doesn't hold up. Maybe it doesn't hold up. That's okay. You're <laughs> drinking. Not enough. Not nearly enough. <laughs> all right, which one do you want to talk about next while I uh, drink some more? The next one I have, um, I'm just going through the stack here. I, I've got Lady Killer, uh, issue number two. This is, we're in volume two now. I, I missed volume one, so I'm going to have to get caught up on that. I, I read that uh, when it came out. It's been a while. It, this but is... yeah, written and drawn by Joelle Jones. Yes. So yeah, because yeah, this is kind of a weird one. I read and liked the first volume, although not a lot of it stuck to my brain. Uh, I remember it was a good looking book, mm. and it was an interesting concept. It's you know, a 1950s housewife as hired assassin. Yes. Uh uh, but I missed the. I bought it, but I didn't read it. Uh, I just didn't get to it that week. The first issue of this volume, so I'm not entirely sure what's going on in in this book. Well, she's still killing. Uh, <laughs> well, the husband still is clueless. Yes, <laughs> and she she's also balancing that with her her responsibilities as a mother. And she gets a strange offer in this issue from um, a man named Irving, who she used to work with. And then they parted ways for some reason that's not made entirely clear. Something I, happened at the World's Fair. I honestly don't remember from the first... Because I think I bought all five issues when it was done and did them in a savage burn over a few beers. Yeah. I remember liking it, but not a lot of details are sticking to my head. So he approaches her because he's in retirement, but he would like to stay active and offers to be uh, her disposal person so that she doesn't have to worry about getting rid of the bodies anymore after she's done her killing. Hey, the world's full of specialty jobs. Yes. Specialized <laughs> employment. So while she has some misgivings about it, she agrees to it, and so she ha- has this internal sort of monologue with herself about you know, trusting your gut and, and how if you don't do that, bad things could happen. So this sort of is foreshadowing that bad things are probably going to happen. Well... <laughs> Somebody just showing up who's clearly tailed you without your knowledge, yeah. saying, oh no, let me get rid of the body. <laughs> Unless he's drooling and he's got a knife and fork like the wolf <laughs> from those old Warner Brothers cartoons. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's probably an ulterior motive. She's also approached by, and this, this struck me as very gross point blank, she's yes. <laughs> approached by a guy um, who claims that he is the representative for the local assassins union. <laughs> as one is. As one is. And... and approaches her about becoming involved in that. She also has misgivings about that. Yeah, it's the the gross point blank thing you know, to me was kind of obvious. It didn't really bother me because what, what really worked for me with this and what I think worked with me from the first one, which leads me to remember, even through my alcoholic haze, that, <laughs> oh, liked it but can't remember the story, is it is a beautiful fucking book yeah it is it's it's beautiful to look at the art is is very well done and and takes advantage of the time period nicely so there's a lot of cheesecake but purposefully cheesecake yeah but it's all the the daylight family scenes yeah. you know could have come straight out of a rockwell thing sure uh norman rockwell from saturday evening post they look perfect you know the nighttime scenes have the same style but and that's part of why it works for me. It's it, yes, everybody is sort of put together and looks like perfectly from a 1950s postcard or commercial. But yeah, they've got Josie working with a dude chopping up a dead guy with a shovel. Yeah. So the the dichotomy really works for me. The coloring by uh, Michelle Madsen, I think it was. Mm-hmm. I can't read my own writing on my notes. It, it, you got it right. Believe it or not, I prepared for this show. Apparently, not very well. But it's. Yeah, perfect for that 1950s style. Big, solid splashes of pastels and you know, everything sort of in solids. So, yeah, it, it makes everything look like a fucking copper tone yeah, from, from 1958. But when we go into the murder scenes, everything darkens up at least a little bit to match the mood. So yeah. the, the coloring works just as well as this perfect, beautiful vision of 1950s family life with a pickaxe and a stranglehold. <laughs> Some people make money by selling Tupperware. Uh, she whacks guys. <laughs> and women. She, she's equal opportunity. 
Oh, you should have told me you were going to do that. I could have gotten the family guy. What do you want me to do? Whack a guy? Off a guy? Whack off a guy? Because I'm married. <laughs> Anywho. Anywho. So if you're looking for um, a book that is not a Marvel or DC book, uh, that and, and is not a superhero book, this is a, a book that you might be interested in. If you are the sort of person that enjoyed, say, Ed Brubaker's work on Criminal and similar sorts of, if you're perhaps reading Clean Room <laughs> by Gail Simone. Yeah, it's make no mistake. This is not a hard-boiled crime story, right? It's uh, bits and pieces of Mister and Missus Smith thrown in with bits and pieces of Gross Point Blank. Yeah, uh, so it's about a criminal, but how realistic it is. You know, if you're looking for you know, a real hard-boiled crime story, I don't know. There's certainly derivative things in there. For me, the the money in it is just how it looks. Yeah. You know, the the art is really solid, and it's it's a fun read in a large part because how it looks. I'll forgive a certain amount of, uh, I think I've seen this in places before, if it looks like this. Right. But I, I think, I just have a lot of fun reading it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a fun read, and yeah, the <laughs> you got to be okay with graphic violence. Yes. The chopping up the body doesn't happen off camera, kids. <laughs> and that's part of why it's cool. It's like, yep, 1950, oh, yep, it's a... Well, because it's that's part of the fun of the book is it's such a, a well rendered nineteen fifties proper housewife. So she'll even have like expressions on her face, like you would expect, like "Oh no, I burnt the meatloaf," but really it's "Ah shit, how do I chop this up?" Yeah, like, like, like you know, oh gosh, I, I'm 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 so tired from vacuuming. Kind of you know, hand on the on the forehead, but really it's I just strangled the guy. Yeah. <laughs> I need to take a minute. There's blood on my apron, <laughs> and hubby will be home soon. Yeah. So yeah, there's there's a lot to like in it. For me, it's the art. Yeah, story's okay, it's fun, but but yeah, it's it's a good looking book. Yes. All right. Anything else? Want to move on to? Let's, let's move on. All right. What do you got next? I've got the Six Million Dollar Man by Van Jensen. Yes, uh, with art by Ron uh, Salas. Sure. What kind of parents would name their kid that? <laughs> this one uh, I asked you to read. I've I've been picking this one up because I've said before i've i've got a soft spot for six million dollar man that that was probably the tv show i don't want to say it got me into superheroes but if you were a superhero fan at five or six and i was reading some comics Mm. at that time that was what you had on television with steve austin and the bionic man i remember watching it um yeah, I think you're definitely a bigger fan than than I was. I, I didn't hate it, but it didn't really stick to my head. I did have um, one of the few toys that I was actually given <laughs> was oh god, it was a Fisher, Fisher <laughs> Price on. had um, this sort of projector kind of thing. So you it, you put a cartridge in the back of it, and then you had to hand crank it. But <laughs> it would uh, go on, Beva. <laughs> So, so one of the cartridges I had was um, of a, a trailer for the Six Million Dollar Man. It was the the whole like you know thing at the beginning where it sort of like detailed his the opening credits yeah. with the crash and yeah we can rebuild him yeah we can make him better than he was before right with no sound no sound so no sound, <laughs> no sound. so but you could also like wind it backwards so like you could you could make him go backwards and and just be in a horrible accident. Like, <laughs> So, so he he reversed a horrible accident and went back to just being the baddest ass test pilot. Yes, of nineteen seventy five. Right. Well, after the age of test pilots. <laughs> yes. All right. I did not have that. I had that and um, like a Disney's Robin Hood, like with the the fox. No, no, really. <laughs> that was that was the other cartridge I had. Okay. And clearly, my parents were really invested in giving me stuff. <laughs> Oh geez, I I had the first generation six million dollar man action figure with a big button sticking out of his back, nice, so that you could uh, yeah, it came with an engine block that for some reason had a handle on it. Oh, of course, as if a six year old knows what an engine block is. Retroactively, <laughs> I've learned it's an engine block, and yeah, you could press the button and it would ratchet his arm up. And he had uh, plastic skin that you could roll back and see the bionics. It was the first thing that ever fell off. I'm sure. Yeah. And I'm guessing kids <laughs> eventually choked on it because in like second, third generation, they, that wasn't on there. Then uh, his his bionic eye was like a hole drilled through his fucking head. <laughs> so you could look through the back of Steve Austin's head and everything looked sort of, it was like a fisheye view. But in retrospect, it looked like he'd been JFK. Yeah, I was going to say, are you sure this wasn't a JFK action figure? Yeah, you, you could take his, his right arm and his legs off 
but not his left arm because he didn't lose the left arm. So that had that had a swivel joint. The right arm you could pop on and it could only move uh, like uh, somebody had uh, stuck a pin in your shoulder. Yeah. So it would like move up and down, the, just enough to do the fucking engine block. But the left arm had articulation. Yeah, I had that. I had Mascatron for Christmas when I was five years old. Mascatron is all I ever wanted. And how long did Mascatron last? Mascatron, he actually lasted for a while, but the biggest problem was, you know, you've got Mascatron, so, oh, I want to make him impersonate Steve Austin. So you put Steve Austin's clothes on him, and then you think, all right, well, what am I going to put on Steve? Because I'm uh, even at five years old, I'm not going to have him chase Mascatron in his fucking <laughs> jockey shorts. Um, but the, Mascatron's clothes wouldn't fit on Steve Austin because Steve Austin had a big fucking button sticking out of his back. <laughs> so, so that was disappointing. I'm sorry. But yeah, I had the, the rocket module that you could open it up, and it also conveniently turned into the operating table where they put them back together. Interesting. So it was basically a meatball surgery simulator for fucking five-year-old kids. Was Were the boxers like cloth boxers, or were they printed on him? Oh, they were, they were printed on him. They used to do that to Barbie, too. She, she had bikini briefs, but it was basically just textured. I mean, it it was the 70s. It, it, it wouldn't surprise me if Lee Major said, no, go ahead and mold it. Put it on the doll. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody at Hasbro, or I, I forget who had that license, uh, Mattel. clearly Mattel decided, uh, not a good idea. <laughs> Thank God. So yeah, I, I have a soft spot for it. And I know you can get the whole series on DVD now, and I won't do it. Okay. Because I've seen a few of those old episodes now and again. They've popped really up on up. television. Yeah. Oh, it makes me sad for five-year-old me. It's like, oh, <laughs> this is all that was available? <laughs> really? <laughs> Steve Austin's best friend is William Shatner? They're just running around being bionic together, chasing Bigfoot. Oh, Jesus. There's a bionic dog. Six million dollars to fix Steve Austin. And instead of euthanizing this poor animal, they gave him bionic legs. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> so I, I, don't re- I loved the show as a kid. I won't go back to it. Same thing as A Team, and mm-hmm. that's why I don't watch too much in the way of old Miami Vice. Even yeah, there's a couple of them that the TiVo picked up because we left suggestions on. I haven't I haven't watched them. I, I did enjoy. Now, to be fair, I had a lot to drink last night. Oh yes, um, I did enjoy the episode of the Greatest American Hero that found its way onto our TiVo. That one I'll I'll stick with. Yeah, even though I bought the whole series on DVD, but I haven't watched it. For the same kind of feeling, it mm. was a, a few years ago on the Sci-Fi Channel. They did a day-long marathon, and we watched a bunch of them, and most of them held up. So that's when I went out and bought the series. But yeah, I haven't sat down to to mm. see whether it it still goes. And it's still one of my great memories of Comic Con. I think the second one we went to in two thousand seven, mm-hmm. uh, William Cat was trying to uh, I forget the Catastrophic Comics yes. was a company he was working with, and they were going to do a a uh, Greatest American, American Hero, Hero comic, yeah, and. William Cat called in every favor he may have had. And yeah, they, they had a, a Thursday panel with him, Connie Selica, and Robert Culp. Yeah. That, talking about the old show. <laughs> that was great. And that was, yeah, Robert Culp died a year or two later. But yeah, I got to meet William Cat, and that, that was early enough into going to comic conventions. I'm still a tongue tied moron. <laughs> uh, I loved your show. Not thinking, oh, you've probably done stuff since that show, <laughs> I should say, I've seen and enjoyed. Well, it's not like you went toddling up and said, so when's the next house movie coming out? (laughs) (laughs) He probably would have appreciated that. (laughs) So, yeah, I've not revisited Six Million Dollar Man in the way I have other things. But But we have the comic book. Because I have a soft spot for it, yeah. Even Dynamite's first run with Kevin Smith adapting his Six Million Dollar Man script... And then it kind of went off the rails. They tried to stick with it for a while, and the, the writing just... It, it felt like everything was going back to try to revisit everything from the 70s. They yeah. had Bionic Bigfoot again, and I just like, eh. <laughs> But this one I've, I've been picking up, because I, I like Van Jensen, and also it's just been a better comic book. It's been a pretty good story with a sense of humor about itself. But I asked you to read this one, because you really don't need to know what the hell is going on to read this particular issue. Now, there's stuff, there's uh, apparently some of his bionics are, are becoming self-aware and talking with Steve and there's... Yeah, I, I, I was trying to figure out what that computer voice was. Yeah, and there's uh, this whole plot to get this thing to make great armies of bionic men. It doesn't matter for this one. You can pick this one up and probably should pick it up 
because it's a really cool example of a writer and artist really taking advantage of things that you can only do in comic book form. Mm. And it's really, it amounts to a really visually interesting and thrilling and fun issue long chase scene on a train. And the way it's set up is pretty much every page, it's a double page layout. Yeah. Um, and it's almost panelless. There'll be floating panels here and there to give close ups and have a little bit of dialogue, but it's mostly just the side of a speeding train. And you got Steve Austin and Barney, this other bionic man, chasing each other across the top of the train. And this other agent, Holly, is trying to keep up fighting her way through the inside of the train. Is she also bionic? Uh, no, she's not. Okay. I think she's CIA. Uh, well, because there's a, there's a panel where she seems to be holding up the, the roof of the train when one of the people kind of falls through it. It's possible I read it. I, again, some of these things I read drunk. <laughs> this one, yeah, it's $6 million, man. Sometimes it makes its way to the bottom of the pile. <laughs> I don't think she's bionic, but I can, yeah, it's a, I can see what you're saying. But uh, Also, there's a monster with tentacles and a crab claw. Which is awesome. Being ridden by a fucking mad scientist <laughs> screaming "Death to America," yeah. But uh, but yeah, the the way the action is, yeah, it's just sort of this static shot of the side of the train, and uh, Solace will just have figures, a figure and a figure, and then move over, and so it's just with static figures moving across it, it gives you the simulation of the action as it goes across the top of this train, yeah. And inside the train, as Holly takes on wave after wave of goons. So it's just visually really interesting how it's put together. And it's really, I don't think I've seen anything really like it. It takes full advantage of the fact that, yeah, okay, we've got this letterbox static picture in something that would be moving in that direction. So what's something visually cool that we can do with it? Right. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's it, plus, like I said, the whole book from the first issue, and clearly my memory is not as clear as some of the earlier issues as it should be. It's got a sense of humor of itself. One of the running gags, because this, this train is in Germany, yeah, is that half the people who see Steve Austin think he's David Hasselhoff. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, you got the crab monsters for no fucking reason at all. And it, yeah, and so it's, it, it's fun. And it's fun with, yeah, a visual kind of gag to get the action across that I don't think I've ever seen before. I, I thought it was interesting. I, I found it a little hard to follow the layout because since I'm dropped in, having not read any of this yet. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely unconventional. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you didn't know who any of the characters were or what any of the reason behind it was. Yeah. And my argument is it doesn't matter. What? It's it's two superpowered dudes chasing each other across the top of a train. Which which I, I figured out, but I just I found I found it a little hard to follow. Which is fair, because it's it's not a conventional comic. The flow is not necessarily obvious. So you've got to sort of force yourself into, okay, this is the language that's being used to demonstrate this action without any of the gutters that indicate passage of time. Yeah. Or, so it, I, I can see how you were challenged by it. And I had moments where it's like, all right, where does this come from? Where did this go? Yeah. But once it sort of clicked, I really had a lot of fun with it. I thought it was really cool how it was put together. It it's definitely interesting. <laughs> I mean, did you? I, I, you haven't read any of the others. Did no. Did you like it at all, or did it was okay? <laughs> okay. And I, 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 if if you're a fan of the Six Million Dollar Man, I could see where you would enjoy it. Okay, but yeah, the the visual storytelling you didn't think was was cool. I thought it was a little confusing. Okay, <laughs> that's fair because yeah, it's not conventional. To be fair, I'm also hungover. Today might not have been the day to read it. <laughs> Where's my whiskey funnel? It's uh, I, I can understand that. Maybe <laughs> maybe I was asking for a lot. Throw it because yeah, you didn't really get out of bed all day. I, I did just not. gave you a pile of comic books and said you to read these so yeah. you can do the show. Yeah. Well, I go program my computer all day long. <laughs> all right. Well, I thought it was a really entertaining and visually interesting way of of showing this kind of action. I, I thought it was a good use of comics in a way that most books don't necessarily do it. I thought clearly it was experimental a little bit and it worked for me. Okay. You're allowed to like things. Really? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. What do we got? One more? One more. I remember what it is. Oh yeah. Hadrian's wall. 
I loved this book. This was really good. Uh, Hadrian's Wall number one, uh, written by Kyle Higgins and Alex Siegel. It's, and um, Rod art, art by Rod Rice. Yes. This is the same crew that also did Cowl, which was Higgins' other book. Yeah, his book about uh, the concept of superheroes unionizing in Chicago uh, mm-hmm. in the 1930s and later on in life as their contract starts to come up, what are you willing to do to keep the city safe slash protect your own interests? Right. So yeah, I like that one a lot. I got both trades of that one. So this is this is now um he ha- he has a whole letter in the back that explains like where this book came from. I guess he went through a really bad breakup. And I apologize, <laughs> but I needed to go in another direction in my life. <laughs> um so he he took the the pain from that and kind of worked his way through it writing this book. And this book is about a gentleman who is investigating a death in space. Yeah, it's, let's start with this is old school 1970s or 1980s, sci-fi. yeah. Yeah. The, the one that left to mind was Outland. You okay. Know, just dudes in space and there's a murder and somebody has to solve it. Yeah. That that works. Um it made me think of Blade Runner a little bit. I could see that. So we have this guy who is investigating the murder of the man who married his ex-wife. <laughs> Yeah, that would get hairy uh, even in downtown Boston. <laughs> yeah. Let alone surrounded by uh, inky blackness. Right. So he's, I guess there was a, a falling out of, of epic proportions, and this man uh, at some point shot him four times <laughs> before he died. There's a, well, as one does. <laughs> <laughs> There's clearly a lot of backstory yeah. here that we will learn. There was a certain amount of real estate that had to be dedicated to world building in this one. Yes. That I thought was pretty effective and not too exposition heavy. I mean, they. Uh, on one hand, I say that on the other hand, part of the world building was we spent an entire page of Simon, our protagonist, arguing over his change with a cash register jockey. Yeah. Who... Can't do math. Yeah, clearly we've reached a point in... And it's... There is world building there. It's, okay, people rely on the machines. What the machines say is what it is. I don't need to know math. The machine does it for me, which amazingly is an argument that I bring up at work all day long. (laughs) I didn't learn how to use these machines so I could count. It's an argument they've embraced at McDonald's. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) But it it makes it solid here, and we've moved past cash, and it says something about Simon to say, okay, he's a guy who uses cash. Mm -hmm. So he uses cash and uses his own head so clearly he doesn't quite fit in every, you know everywhere yep and yeah it's <laughs> now he's stuck in space now he's stuck in space with his morphine habit or his percocet habit yeah which he has because he was shot by this guy <laughs> yeah and it says something else about this world it's like nobody seems to bat an eye he just flat out says i'm doing this to keep myself numb yeah nobody seems to care no well, it's understandable, I think, <laughs> given the circumstances. <laughs> so apparently in the future, uh, the war on drugs was won by surrender. <laughs> so, uh, fine, just keep with the opiates. It was so, won by Big Pharma. Yeah. If it keeps <laughs> you from stabbing a guy, here you go. Have some nice pure pills. Yeah. Um, so he he accepts this job and goes into space because he is going to be able to make $100,000 investigating uh, the circumstances of the man's death. He, the, the guy seemed to be out in space and his his suit failed and he exploded like... Arnold Schwarzenegger in the dream sequence in Total Recall. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But even that, there's a certain amount of ambiguity. It seems like the guy wakes up in his suit. Yeah. There's questions that when Simon looks at the body saying, well, he's got all these bruises around his neck. It's a case, again, going back to like Alien, Outland, the corporation wants it to go away. Right. So it's okay. Come, And I'm sure we will learn as the book goes on that... Simon was chosen to do this inquest because if anybody's just going to say, yeah, fuck you, and I'm taking the money, and I hate you, <laughs> right? it's probably him. So there's clearly something else going on. And his, his ex-wife is there, and she's unhappy with his presence on the ship. <laughs> Which would happen. <laughs> and yeah, that, that old alien truckers in space feel is there. Mm-hmm. Everybody's just doing a job. Yep. All the ships look purpose-built. As opposed to the big silver ones from like the Pan Am ones from two thousand one, mm-hmm. so it kind of reminded me a little bit actually of the ship on Red Dwarf. I that's that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Please explain. I it was red. Um, was, <laughs> and, I, I and, and vaguely it, I vaguely know what red dwarf is because yeah, you've raved red, about it's it. It's red you, and kind of beat up looking. Can so. you explain what red dwarf is? Red Did, dwarf is a British television program about the last human left alive and his companions on a a ship that's drifting through space. And and he hopes desperately that he's not the last one alive, and he's trying to find someone. And he he's also the the last person who should be the last person left alive because he's not a great specimen of humanity. Dave okay. Lister, uh, he's he's a a punk basically. He he likes his beer and his vindaloo, and he's he's coarse, <laughs> and he is being. He he has to spend time with the only other human analog on the ship, which is actually a hologram of his dead roommate, who is a complete <laughs> like stick up the ass. Just <laughs> now, I have not seen it, but my understanding it's it's very much a Douglas it's, Adams. Feel. Yeah, it's 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 comedic. Okay, I just uh, look. I know we've got many listeners in Great Britain, far more in the United States, who may have never heard of the show, so, and even I, I've never seen it. I've the, heard you talk about the it. ship, not the not this comic book. Reminds me of it. So, yes. No. No, if you're if you're thinking, oh great, it's going to be a space comedy. No, Hadrian's Wall is not a space comedy. <laughs> well, no, you've got a, a junky protagonist who uh, is about to have. Part of what I I liked about this was the groundwork for a lot of tension in future issues is being laid. Yes, there's clearly the tense relationship between Simon and Annabelle, the ex-wife. That's going to clearly come to a head because. Yes. You can't spend a lot of time around <laughs> any ex you've ever had and not just feel awkward and stupid and angry and ashamed. Well, he just and rips depressed. the band aid right off of that when she starts giving him shit on, shit on the ship. Right. <laughs> but there's also the tension of clearly we will get people trying to. Because I really get the sense, and I'm sure we will learn. As I said, the people brought him out thinking he's going to just do a slap job on it and say, ha, I got to stare in your dead face and spit in it. Yeah. Give me my hundred grand. But no, he clearly intends to investigate this death. Mm-hmm. So there will be tension coming up around that. And I'm sure we'll get, uh, as in Outland, oh, several attempted murders. Yes. And we've already got some shadowy figure who we don't know who it is, have flushed all his Percocets or whatever they are right down the drain. So as withdrawal hits, I'm sure he'll become fun to be around. <laughs> so there's... Very much a sense of, I mean, yeah, imagine a situation where you're trapped in a steel tube with no escape for an extended period of time with people who want to kill you and your ex-wife. Yes. That's what we're looking at here. And that's a good tense story no matter how you lay it out. Yeah, no, this is, it's a good book. Yeah. It's, it's it, getting off on the, on the right foot. Yeah, it's, it's got the right look. It's yeah, done. the art in this is beautiful. Yeah, it's great looking. Not even space opera, just good, solid science fiction. Nothing wrong with space opera. I love saga. (laughs) It's got about as much to do with real science fiction as Star Wars does. It takes place in space. That's about it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, This is, at this point, apparently far more legit science fiction plus a murder mystery plus a relationship drama. Yes. That's that's a lot for your three ninety nine. Exactly. So, so yes. This is a good one. Was this your pick of the week? This was my pick of the week. Okay. I, I, no, I enjoyed this uh, tremendously. It's, uh, yeah, it's got all of the right stuff. So it's it's pulling from, you know, Alien and it's pulling from Noir. <laughs> yeah. So I hadn't even thought of the Noir. Yeah. Because, yeah, uh, I'm sure, yeah, the ex-wife will try to get him to do something and clearly she's bad fucking news. She's salty. <laughs> no... Stop talking to children, for Christ's sake. <laughs> it's a pain in the ass, is what she is. So many flavors. You gotta be salty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think my I think my book, I can't believe I'm saying it. Mine mine was Detective Comics. And it had fucking Ozymandias in it. <laughs> Getting soft in my old age. It's okay, sweetie. All right. Yeah, again, this is another truncated episode for which I personally <laughs> apologize. Like I said... Life here at the Crisis on Infinite Midlife's home office has just been weird. It's probably going to be weird for a little while longer, but yeah, we we see the end in sight. So we'll try not to put ourselves in a position where we have to skip shows again. It was a hell of a thing last week to say, okay, I can't do a show. The week after we did our big, hey, it's our fifth anniversary <laughs> show. But you, you were a broken man last weekend. 
I'm not much less broken this week, uh, as you listener can tell with all the ums and yeah buts. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's just uh, at this point, yeah, I think this thing needs to be online in about the next hour. Okay. So, in that case, unless we got anything else, why no, don't we I wrap think, it up? I think that's it. Okay. Thanks for sticking with us as things have been weird, but one way or the other, you found this show someplace, and I don't know where you found it, but you can always find us at our home website, crisisoninfinitemidlives.com. We are on Facebook. It's been a little bit quiet as I've been busy, but I try to do stuff as much as I can there, and we certainly mm. can get messages through there. Absolutely. Facebook.com slash crisisoninfinitemidlives. We are on Twitter. Twitter handle is at infinitemidlife. We are on Tumblr, crisisoninfinitemidlives.tumblr.com. You can find us on iTunes, and if that's how you get your podcasts, you can subscribe to us through there. That's fine. It helps new people find the show, as do reviews and ratings. So We like feedback. Exactly. I like positive feedback. Just, <laughs> just, if you think I suck, just email me. That's all I can take right now. <laughs> Where else are we? We're on Google Play. We're on Stitcher. We're on TuneIn Radio. We're proud members of the Comics Podcast Network. And yes, you can always send those... Weird hate mails to <laughs> crisis on infinite midlives at gmail.com. Did I miss anything? I think that's it. All right. In that case, let's wrap it up. This has been episode 128 of the Crisis on Infinite Midlives show. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. Thank you for listening and derp. Scotch? No. <laughs> My name is Hiro Nakamura. I'm from the future. And I have a message for you. I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs>